This is David Wilson and welcome to episode 48 of On Another Track. Welcome to On Another Track with me, David Wilson, exploring people and places from around the world. A podcast series that takes you where you've never been and probably where you never want to go. On the track is talking to people we can't meet with face to face. We use remote video technology and software to see what they have to say. We're trying to keep warm with the minus 35 Celsius. I lived in Germany for three years. I lived in Bielefeld in Northern Westfalen. Well, that's close to Düsseldorf, where I live. Yeah. I've been in uh, close to Chicago once in Michigan, and actually it was like minus 35. And it was like you could only go out wearing a mask in front of your face. That's the voice this week of my guest, Nicole Rosler. She's the founder of German Wunderwerk and Denker Dialogue in Germany. I've been linked to Nicole for the last six years and I didn't even know it. My reason for reaching out to her is she's writing her sixth erotic novel and I figured I had to speak to this red carpet personality. As a brand ambassador for some prestigious brands including Omega, Grossbar, Escada and Mont Blanc, to name a few, she's not shy about coming forward about love, relationships and marketing. An odd combination you might think, but not so. A brand is not a brand without people, love and passion and telling a compelling story. Although Nicole made a big impression on me when I first met her, I wanted to see how she would describe herself to somebody else upon first meeting them. I think people would think um, I'm a very extravagant person, very extroverted, but then they would get to know me and they would see that there's a lot of um, internal thinking and intrinsic behind, you know, so it's, it's like a little bit, it might in the beginning um, seem like polarizing, but if you understand the complete Gesamtkunstwerk, it will be one. When people say it's all about image, how important is image in our lives? Well, I, you know, I'm a marketing professional, so I know image is a lot. But um, for me, image is only good if it's coming from your heart and if it's really authentic and holistic, you know. And everything else is, is cheap marketing and advertising and forget about it. So that's a really good point you make. I mean, how do you make it not cheap when it comes to image and about projecting yourself? How do you make it not cheap? Because you're just honestly and true. And sometimes it's not always easy to be true and to be honest. But um, I think that's the stony way you have to go. And Johann Wolfgang von Goethe said, um, even when there's stones being thrown in your way, you can build something very beautiful out of it. And I think that's the challenge we all have in our lives. We all have different stones, different challenges. And we have different insights. So the, the way to find, it's not going to be outside. The way to find, it's going to be inside yourself. That's beautifully said. And of course, stones can be stepping stones. They can be a way of building a business up and you can use those stones, yeah. which is amazing. So tell people a little bit about your business. And I, I it's called the German Wunderwerk. Is that is das richtig? Yeah, is that right? Yeah. Das ist richtig. German Wunderwerk says uh, we produce wonders. But what we do is, um, I'm, you know, I'm in marketing since... Um, many, many, many years, <laughs> decades, uh, like let's say 30 years. And um, what I did is I helped brands like Mont Blanc, Escada, Caldevay, Boer, um, 
to really grow strong omega and um, what i learned in that time is um you have to create an image but it will only work if if the image is correct you know it's like for omega we were sponsoring james bond with the seamaster you know and the seamaster was everywhere and the speedmaster was on the moon it was the first watch that was on the moon but it was there because really the people had the they were searching the russian astronauts were searching for um, a watch that had a glass that would hold and they tested many many watches and then they find omega and then of course omega was smart enough um, to say okay we're gonna hire andrew sonnen the last man who was on the moon uh, to make advertising for it and we gave for um, James Bond, we gave 20, 30 watches and they just did something to them, you know? And I was having an interview with, um, and I really like him, Piers Brosnan. Yeah, yeah. So we came to the studios and I, I talked to him for two hours. And he said, um, you know, we have here this Ferrari, we have here the Austin Martin, we, we have this and this and that. We try the products and we see how they fit into the blood. And um, this is how you gain credibility, you know? because they tried it out and they liked it. And then the, the watch sometimes had some light, sometimes it had whatever strings on it, whatever could save your life or a little a little gun or something. It's the best platform you'd ever could dream of, isn't it, for a product line? But like yeah. you say, at the end of the day, it has to do the job, doesn't it? It has to do the job it says it's going to do, yeah? It's so important. Yeah, but it has to be real. You know, if, if you say I'm... Um, I'm giving um, my clothes from Escada to Gwyneth Paltrow, but Gwyneth Paltrow doesn't fit into them. She doesn't like them and you need to pay for it. It doesn't work. People feel it. You know, I worked with Michael Schumacher and I was bringing him the watches, you know, and, and he was like always so kind and gentle and he loved the watches. So it's only going to work. Brand work is only working if it's real. So have you always had that kind of innate sense of feel and what feels right when it comes to your life and marketing or is your life and marketing very separate separate things that's an interesting question actually um i think i always had a sense for for the real and for the true and um, knowing advertising it's the opposite sometimes of being real and being true you know because it's like you make things look more shinier than they are and if you looked into it and in, into my linkedin profile i say i make it to bring people spark to bring the sparkle out, you know, but I do it because I look inside of them, people and brands, you know, and for marketing it is, you need to find two or three words. What is the brand standing for? And everybody says function, big quality, great design, bullshit. Everybody says that it's not, it's nothing, you know, it's for Kaldewey, you know, Kaldewey is a, was a very boring bathtub brand, you know, and in a sanitary business super male oriented and not sexy men, but really like salespeople trying to sell bathtubs, producing 6,000 bathtubs a day. So then they hired me after seeing what I did for Mont Blanc, for Escada, for all these luxury brands. And the, the young guy, he was only 28 when we started together, generation change. He said, I want something like what you did with for Escada because it was like very luxury, very premium. And the people understood there, even in the Münsterland, <laughs> close to Bielefeld. Yeah, of course. They understood, okay, you have to make things sparkle. But then we worked together on with different agencies on, on what is the two or three words which stand for this brand and can make it different. And in the end, we said, okay, it's pioneer and style icon. 
like it. So Skylight Run is a little bit like me. And Pioneer was a little bit like Franz Kaldewey because it's always also go, it goes into the personal things. A brand is not a brand without people. Apple would never have been Apple if they wouldn't have been uh, Steve Jobs. So we said, okay, he's the pioneer and I'm the style icon. And then we said together, we create the style icons in the bathroom. And from there you go, you create the brand campaign, you create the product, you create everything. And then all goes together. And that's like writing a book, actually. I, well, absolutely. I totally. And we'll talk about writing the book in a minute because I don't want to let too much out of the bag because that's your kind of um, your other life, isn't it? It's your alter ego that we'll talk yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah together you know oh, well that's it there has to mash it has to come together but i'm intrigued actually just to talk a little bit about more about the work in terms of marketing has there ever been a challenge that and i'm going to be fair here, i'm going to do the good and the bad right is there ever been yeah, yeah. yeah is there ever been a challenge where you found it just too difficult to find the right line for a product or do you always find the way through i think you only find the right line for the brand and the product if you have a good connection with your sparings partner, which is obviously the CEO of the company, if you don't have that, forget it. It doesn't work, you know, because it comes, it comes from the chemistry. I had that I was after Kaldewey, I was at Grohe and created something. I was responsible for Grohe's bar, which was the luxury line. So we had super showers around 20,000 euros with light, with sound, with everything. Super cool. My God, that is incredible. So here's the thing. Grohe has got a great reputation anyway. I mean, when you look at their product line, it's a, a German product. You know, it always does what it says. It's very efficient. It looks great design-wise. But how do you elevate something from a great position in the market to even better position? That must be quite difficult to do. It is difficult because you have to be go beyond the usual ways, you know. You have to add sound, steam, light, and a story. It's always about storytelling, you know. And that was the crucial thing because then I said it's about what is Groß Bar about. I cannot do the same thing as for Kaldewey. I cannot make black backgrounds. Everybody's doing black backgrounds right now. Everybody. I mean, it's the, the best compliment for you if you're copied, but it's you should never copy yourself. I like that. Not even in anything. And um, so I said, okay, what is Groß Bar about? And the great thing was the spa name. Because with Grohe Spa, you have this feeling about wellness, about, you know, retreat, about meditation and things like that. So we were searching a long, long time um, for a claim. And in the end, it was soul and sense. Because I'm not, I'm not sure how it is about you. I spent at least, the normal people spend six years in their life in the bathroom. Yeah. I spent 20 years in my life in the bathroom. And all my friends who know me, <laughs> now I had friends for Sylvester here and they were like, where is Nicole coming? When is Nicole coming? I'm like, okay, give me one hour. I love that. I love it. That is where I become my ideas from, you know, and it's, uh, my office could be uh, a bathroom. That would be perfect. You know, it's really funny you talk about this because I remember talking to another podcast host, actually. We were both said the same thing at the same time. We have our best ideas in the shower, would you believe? Yeah. Exactly. Varun, why? Why is that? Well, I always say you don't need to sit on a yoga mat and say "Om" in order to meditate. You know, I think it's more about um, feeling where you feel well. And I feel well in the bathroom because that's the only me time you have, actually. You know, it's, it's the only time your kids cannot knock on the door. I have an open bathroom. So I tell everybody, 
don't ever go into that bathroom. I get it totally. I took my spiritual place. Like nobody else can enter there. Let's talk about that for a second because you know we're now in a very connected world, extremely connected, and certainly with COVID for the last two years, and especially difficult in Germany. I know because you guys have had major restrictions, like anywhere else in the world, but it's been particularly restrictive in Germany and Austria. How has that really affected your type of business and how you create things and how you have that me time? Has it been easier or been more difficult? Well, it's been super tough two years, to be honest, because after doing all these jobs for all these luxury brands and bath brands, um, um, I decided to, to grow German Wunderwerk and to be independent, selbst und ständig. <laughs> And I have a very nice partner, Andreas, who's doing all the graphics, but um, actually gaining the clients and everything was my task. And I was always very much connected to China. So I was traveling a lot to China. And on the first of the first in 2016, a couple of years ago, I got a call from a former colleague from Caldervai. And he said, Nicole, I have a job for you. You need to go to China tomorrow. Oh, my. <laughs> What did you feel? How did you feel about that? Excited. I felt it was like, you know, it was like a step stone. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I was talking then to the China people and they were looking for flights and I didn't know Ehitat, the airline even, and I didn't know where I'm going. And I only knew I knew to do something. So I went there and then I had strange talks and I, I really went into this Chinese culture. They invited me for lunch, they invited me for dinner, and then we were talking business. And they wanted me to do an um, exhibition, like a German pavilion, for an already existing exhibition, which was called Home and Appliances Furniture, Dingsterbums, yeah. in Nanjing, which was a former hometown in China, in the Ming Dynasty. So um, they said, okay, we want you to do, and it was January. In August, we want to do um, like a fair, like a luxury fair, luxury furniture, bathrooms, kitchens, blah, blah, blah. And you need to bring us all the clients from Germany. And I'm like, no, this is not possible because, you know, the brands, they are doing their budgets end of the, the year before, you know, and I'm like, of course, yeah. how am I? No idea. But I knew um, that was my chance and I had to take it. Oh, wow. So you managed to do it? Yes, we had 30 brands. We had Semantic as a kitchen brand. We had Kaldewey, of course. We had um, Hans Grohe. We had um, many, many, many super good brands. But it was like I was going from one fair to the other fair and I was talking, talking, talking and presenting. And then we had a cooperation with the German Design Council. And the good thing is they own, most of the brands are um, members of the German Design Council. So we did a huge event and we even had the government from Nanjing coming over to Frankfurt for an event in the Messe Tower. And um, yes, somehow it worked out. There were cubes of people standing to buy a bathtub or to buy a showerhead or to buy a kitchen of 50,000 euros. Incredible. I mean, just to think how China is evolved, because I was very, when I was very young, I lived in Hong Kong in the 70s. And, you know, what we got from China was, was things that looked like from the 1950s, you know, the old packaging. And it was fantastic. It was like going back in time. And now China, it literally, what, in the last, what, 20 or 30 years, would you say, yeah. has, has evolved. Do you think they're sophisticated, uh, though? Do you honestly feel they're sophisticated? And what do you feel about China? Well, in China, you have now the Wirtschaftswunder. I have my partners in China. And it's like, you know, like in, 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 in Europe um, after the war, they are building up and they are hungry. 
and they are thirsty, you know. So if you make business in China, you have to eat with them, drink with them. And you have to drink actually a lot. The 60% um, silk schnapps, um, it's a nightmare. I always say I only want white wine. And they kind of, as a woman, they accept it. They do. But I had a designer with me once, Wolf Udo Wagner, who's doing great designs in China. And um, they made him so drunk. The next day, he was supposed to, to go out with architects in a bus. And after five minutes, he went out of the bus, threw up, and went back into the hotel. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. I shouldn't laugh. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, this is really harming my business now because since 2019, I was the last time there in the Grand Show Design Week, famous design week, super, super designers. And you can feel there's so much hunger and desire. But after that, I couldn't go there anymore. So what happened? My um, fixed contract partner closed the contract. <sighs> hmm. I couldn't travel anymore. You know, I'm, I'm the lady for the red carpet there in China. Of course. So if I don't go to China, yeah. I don't earn the money for going to China. Yeah. You know? So it, it was very tough. And what I feel is um, I'm, I'm very disappointed about the German and European companies because they are stuck. They don't react. They work always with the same partners. They always do the same pattern. I think Germany is unfortunately going down the drain. Even the, the car industry, the Chinese are moving over us. And so I need to switch my um, business and say I help now Chinese companies to be successful in Europe. And before it was the other way around, you know. Yeah. Chinese companies have better productions. Meanwhile, they have good quality. They don't do branding. That's where I can help them, you know. And the German companies, I think they need to be more courageous. But but what do you put that down to? Because, you know, typically, I, I've always adored working with German companies. I've worked with German companies really for the last 20 years. And what I always find with German companies is that, number one, they make a, a good quality product generally. It does what it says. It, it works very well and is very reliable. So those three features are, are amazing about German companies. But what you're really saying is that's not enough anymore. You've got to start to think about what's the next development of how does Germany reinvent itself? Yeah. Because you've got, yeah. you have the potential in Germany. You have all the background, the foundation to spring from. You just need to be creative. We are disciplined. We are high functional people. Um, the young generation is changing a little bit, but let's um, look at the, the big companies. Um, there's too much, I think, in, in each company, they think too much about earning money and not enough about being realistic. I think you're right, yeah. That's the thing what happened with the car industry, right? Well, the, the difference is as well, and here's something, and you posted a fantastic post on LinkedIn the other day, and I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he was a, a CEO, I think it was, and saying, it's not about money, it's not about the gratification or the material things, it's about here, as you were saying earlier on, in the heart, the heart has to lead the way. Because if you lead the way with the heart, it grows an organic foundation that you can't break. I mean, you really, it's very strong, isn't it? Yeah. And I think that's what we're finding at the moment, relationships and those building of the relationships and being very genuine with people, you know, being connected. is so important. It's a secret to success for, for me in, in, in a relationship, in a business partner relationship, in a company, whatever you do is you have to be clear and i think some people sell their heart for money there we are i know many there's a good german um, book i'm not sure if you read about it it's called nieten in nagelstreifen no i haven't read it but tell me about it that's like suckers in nice suits okay 
So the premise to the book, the background to the book, what, what does it really say? This book is, uh, it's, it's not for me. It's, it's about really, it's like um, people who are selling their soul in order to earn money, you know? Yeah, totally wrong, wrong route. And they don't have any responsibility anymore, you know? And, and they only look like the numbers. Give me the KPIs, give me this, give me that. It doesn't work because if the heart is missing... And the end consumer feels that, you know. They do, but you said something really, really important. There's no responsibility anymore. It is about responsibility, isn't it? About grabbing that responsibility and saying, "Okay, I've got to, I've got to do this. Yeah, I've got to, I've got to step up to the plate," you know. And responsibility is the key, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, when I was working for Grower, which was a big, big, big company concern, and then they were sold to the Japanese, actually. And the, the two um, the two CEOs got fired because um, they had a, a share of a Chinese company, and they knew they had to pay back debts, many many debts. We were talking about two hundred million, you know, and they did not say that to the to the Japanese people who who were buying this company. And then the Wirtschaftswoche, which is a very famous, very good Wirtschaftsmagazin, they came on and and they discovered it. Oh my! And afterwards. Okay, the two heads were fired, but you know, they only thought about getting richer, 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 faster, quicker, more money, and they didn't think about responsibility. And this is what what is killing not only a company, it's killing a mentality and it's killing relationships and everything. Okay, great segue into relationships. I, I want to now show people who you really are. So you have become, and I don't know when you started, and you can maybe tell the listeners, you've become an amazing writer of erotic and love novels. Is that a fair description? That's a fair description, yes. Yeah. So tell me how Nicole got started writing these amazing novels. Okay. When I was 11, I was already reading all the literature in, in my family's house. And there were a lot of American authors, actually. Tom Wolfe, people like that, you know, of course, always Karl May and, and all this stuff. And I always thought I need to write. And when I was um, in, in school, I was doing some excursions and was reading them in front of the public and I was always a little bit satiric you know maybe you know Kishon you know Kishon well I, I don't know it but I know the satirical thing because of the UK or the British like the sat satirical stuff they you know the Monty Python and all that type of thing yeah Monty Python fits it perfectly so I always wanted to write books like that but then you have your own life, you develop your relationships, your, your business, of course. And I studied psychology because I found it very interesting. And then I found it was going too much into therapy and I didn't want to sit there all day and hear about the problems of other people. So I, then I started uh, marketing and started in advertising, which is selling the, the, the brave new, the beautiful new world. Of course. And that is, of course, it's the best source to write books. And then, of course... Um, I'm a sensual woman, so I had some affairs. Of course, why not? You've got to speak from the heart, yeah? <laughs> some good ones, some bad ones. Uh, one very terrible one, which almost killed me and wow. threw away all I had, actually, after my first husband died of, of cancer and the second husband was a wannabe rock star and he was really, he was he was hitting women and he forced me to go to Miami with him and to spend everything there. But I believed in him, you know, and it, it was good. We all have the right to make our own mistakes. So do you, when it comes to love, and I mean, we're going to go a little bit deep here, okay? You had a couple of very polarizing experiences, yeah? But from that, did you find the food to feed your heart to be able to write the novels? Did that really help? 
Yes, of course. Of course, I mean, you know, that was so much food for my novels and I can tell people so much and I can give them also advice because when I'm writing my books, I always try to help people, you know. Now it also goes in, into things like um, going very deep into um, transgender things and that. My last man friend, um, he was not a man in the end. He said, one day, can I show you my real face? And then he turned out to be a woman. Oh, my God. And you, did you realize this or did you have a sense that the woman's sixth sense that there was something different about him? Yeah. I felt something. Yeah, yeah. And I was not really surprised when he came. And, and he gave me the allowance to write about him in, in my last book. So how do you go about writing an erotic novel to start with? If somebody has it in them that they've always been a writer or wanted to be a writer, how do you start an erotic novel? It's really, really difficult. Um, I was in that job at Kaldewey and I was coming back from Miami, almost being killed by that wannabe rock star. And I, I started with zero. Ground zero, really. And I started with Kaldewey and um, and I was working in Aalen in Westfalen, which is the most ugliest place you could probably imagine. And I was living then in Münster and there was actually there was no man that really understood an international woman with hair like this. And so people would chase me in Münster and say, yeah, Amy Winehouse, Amy Winehouse. And I was like, I, I was really, really having a bad time. I was just focusing on work. And on the weekends, I was alone and I was starting to write. And the first line I ever wrote was actually in Sicily. Wow. Inspirational. I love Sicily. It's like the place of my soul, you know. So I came to Sicily and there I was sitting at the marketplace, Plaza Umberto. And there came another bad guy, long locks, you know. And he was like... Another rock star, yeah. <laughs> I was here, you know, with my little book and my, my fountain pen from Mont Blanc. And he was... What kind of opera of love do you write? I want to be part of it. And I said, no, I'm writing. I don't want you to be part of my opera. So I was just in my vacation and on the weekends I was writing. And of course I had this, this history with this man. So it's it, the first book is called Das Liebesversprechen, The Promise of Love. It's available on Amazon, isn't it? Yeah, I noticed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the last book is called um, Das Liebesverbrechen, so the love crime. And it's all about, it's six books. It's all about how a wonderful love affair changes into something really, really, really bad and almost kills you. So it's really speaking from life, yeah? Yeah, 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 sure. I think, you know, even your fantasy is is autobiographic. I think it is because um, we don't realize how powerful the brain is and where those memories get put in our body because it's not just in the brain, apparently. It's everywhere in the body. It's stored, yeah. all the memories. But here's the thing. Why is love so complicated? Why can't it be simpler? It's a good question. I tried to answer this today, actually, um, in, a, in a mail to my now lover. And he's so much older again than me. My, my first husband was 28 years older and he's now 24 years older. And I have this manfraublog.de where I try to answer these questions. And I think I'm one of these people I have to live it through, you know, to answer it. And I'm like... Um, I think a love that is not crazy is not a love. But then we have all these, you know, we have the brain and we have the heart. And the brain often also says, no, don't do this. This doesn't fit. But the heart fits in a way, you know. So I think it's about listening to your heart more or less. And um, I think then it's, it 
can still go wrong if the brain um, is neglected. I, I agree. They often associate the kind of love and, and being in love uh, like a, a cash register, a till. So you go cha-ching and you take money out of the cash register. But at the same time, to feed it, you have to put money back into the cash register. It's very important, isn't it? But why do we put ourselves into dangerous situations when it comes to love? I think because what we really do is we we search for a soul partner, you know, everybody needs a soul partner. And there are situations, you have good presence in life, you have bad presence in life, you know, and you never know it before you try it out, you know, Be before you open a present, you don't know what is inside. I love that analogy. It's so good. So it's like being on Christmas Day. If you like surprises, love is going to be great because it's amazing what you can discover. But you have to be adventurous in love, don't you, to, to get to the end somewhere, yeah? I think you have to be adventurous. And then there's a, there's a very beautiful uh, poem. It's from Erich Fried. And it's called um, Es ist, was es ist, sagt die Liebe. Es ist Wahnsinn, sagt der Verstand. Es ist Unsinn, sagt die Angst. Es ist, was es ist, sagt die Liebe. Und so geht das weiter. Und ich glaube, man muss sich auch, es ähm, gibt ein anderes wunderschönes Gedicht, über die Löcher, in die man auch reinfallen muss, um zu lernen, warum man in ihnen war und wieder rauszukommen. Und am Ende geht man dann vielleicht eine andere Straße, wo weniger Löcher sind. Aber ich glaube, jeder Mensch, der einem auf dem Weg geschenkt wird oder, oder vorbeigesandt wird, der hat irgendwie eine Bedeutung in unserem Leben. Und vielleicht ist es unsere Aufgabe, das einfach rauszufinden. Oh, my German is not that good. You're going to have to translate all that. <lacht> Yeah. So what I'm saying is, um, each person that has been sent to you, I, I don't, I don't believe in in random. You know, I don't believe in that. Really? Now that's interesting because random is quite exciting, though. I mean, that's the point. You know, it, like, it, like this random meet. But you think that maybe we are predestined to have that interlinking going on already? I think so because you, have you ever had that feeling? Of course, I'm sure you did. You meet somebody and you know him. Well, absolutely. It's deja vu. I, I've been here before. I know that I know what the next question is going to be. I know what the next answer is going to be. And that's the weirdest thing. But the, the only time I ever really get that is when I'm most relaxed and when I'm relaxed in my soul and in my heart. When your heart is open and your soul is open. And I think then you meet people you are supposed to meet in a way and they might not be good for you, in, but they might be good for you because you learn. And um, this really, really bad man, um, who almost killed me and took all my money and all my heart and even my music. And I love my music, but um, he said, I'm only, and I don't know how to say this in English, but I can look it up. Um, I was only the Erfüllungsgehilfe. I was the helper of your destiny. Yes. He was, he was facilitating a part of your life. Um, but here's the thing. This is what I want to just ask you about, because you clearly go into the psychology when you write the books as well. Is, is love more about not the feeling, but the power that some people want out of the domination of somebody or, or be able to direct somebody along their path that they think they should be going along? It, does that come into it? Um, well, you know, you have these people that manipulate and they want to have might over you, of course, yeah. But that's not love. Actually, love is, if, if you, um, for me, love is not even the sexual thing for me love is if, if you um, are together with somebody and you really really feel 
comfortable and, and nice and, and you like to fall asleep with each other and wake up in the morning with each other. That's the main thing, actually. Yeah, I think I think you're right there because the physical sex and what have you, that can be really good if that ingredient you just talked about is there because it's very complementary. If you go from the sexual and physical angle, then the bit that feeling together doesn't always come, does it? It's it's kind of, it can be very separate, you know, and people think sometimes sex is love, but it isn't. No way. It isn't, and, and I, I'm not, you know, I'm not a feminist, to be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm writing a little bit from a feminine side because I'm a woman, but I'm a woman that understands men. I love that. I have a lot of empathy for men, and I always, you know, all this um, Me Too discussion and so, you know, no woman is really forced, or some women are really forced to do something, but not the main, and, you know... When I hear it on the radio and see Mr. Big is now harmed of doing something, you know, and it's it's like the new series is out. Of course, the women come out and and they say something. And it's like in in I was living in America for three years, and if you are in an elevator and even somebody says, "Hey, you have a nice dress," she's going to the court and says it's sexual harassment. And um, so, so okay, and and I know we're going to a controversial area, but I know that you're not you don't shy away from controversy, nor do I. I, I like to talk about those subjects because I think it it, it promotes understanding. And, you know, we're not saying that we're rigid in our perspective. We just don't understand the logic. And you, you hit the nail on the head is that it's become very easy to just bash men over the head because that's the, the flavor at the moment. But I know that um, it was a couple of years ago when the woke movement got started, the French women, the women in France said, look, you have to stop doing this to men. We don't feel this. Somebody else is creating this atmosphere and we don't subscribe. Yeah. yeah? So what does it feel like in Germany? Is there is there a kind of a pushback against the woke movement and people being realistic? Or do you think they're just getting on the bandwagon and, you know? exploiting maybe in the middle a little bit you know um i I love the french women because they are so emancipated and uh, i really like them for that and here in germany you have um so and so you know you have so and so you have women that say okay this is impossible but i think the more intellectual the women are you know the more they understand you know the more you're successful they are you know even you get into these you get into these situations, David. It is like that, you know. Of course. You have meetings and you see the men want something from you, but it's always your decision. Do you want to take it or do you want to not take it? Unless you really had bad luck. And I only think, let's say 10% of this bad luck we um, was like this Me Too thing, you know. I mean, if I go somewhere, I want to, of course, I want to sell my books. I want to make the movie out of it, you know. So if I'm now invited to a big, big producer and we have a nice dinner and he likes me because I look central and we have a nice evening. Absolutely, yeah. Up to me to decide, you know. I think the secret is to turn this thing that really comes again from your honesty, you know, to tell him, you know, I really want to do this movie. It's, it's a great plot and we need to do it and you're going to be very successful. And I like you, but I'm not going to go into bed with you. So why not? But that's wonderful because you then are giving that power back to the person that's saying that, you know, you can make that choice, be it a man or a woman, you know, but, you know, mainly obviously from a woman's perspective, you know, because the thing that I've done some research on, which is quite interesting, it sounds very basic, right? When you look back to when we were in tribes, for instance, and this was from a BBC documentary, it blew me away, is that woman was really the pivot for the whole tribe, but she had many, many different partners, many different men 
And what happened mm. was because she had many different men, she could then produce offspring and to keep the tribe going. But the men didn't know which of the offspring was theirs. So they would come back and she would give favours, you know, in return for stability and food and looking after the children. And it kind of worked. It, you can't understand the logic that it, are we supposed to have one partner in life and go through and be married and have three kids? Or are we supposed to have many partners and many experiences? And that makes yeah. us a much more rounded person. What, what do you think of that? Why you name it, actually? Well, I think there's phases in life. You know, I, I think definitely the second part is in normally you have to have different partners to find out who you really like and love and who you want to really be together with, you know. And I think you need some experience. You know, an expert is somebody who did all mistakes you could possibly make in one field. You're halfway through listening to On Another Track with me, David Wilson. My guest this week is Nicole Rosler, founder of German Wunderwerk and Denker Dialogue. Next, I want to ask Nicole a little bit about the ancestry of her family and who and what influenced her on her journey through life. Well, I have, um, I have, first of all, I have a twin brother. Wow. And he's three minutes older than I am. And when my mother got pregnant, the doctor always says, you're too fat, you're too fat. And my mother is very slim, just like me. And then she was burying my brother. And then the doctor went away. And three minutes later, um, she was crying. Oh, there's another one. Oh, my. So you were the surprise. I was a surprise. Exactly. And I was, but I was very weak because my brother ate all of the vitamins and everything. So I had to go into, I don't know how you call that, stay in hospital for two weeks. And yeah, like an incubator. And then I came to my, to my parents and my family and my father is an, is an engineer. He always worked a lot in China and worldwide. So very successful. And um, I visited him in China. So that's how kind of the China story started, but he never really got into my creative soul. Um, that was more my mother because she was like doing fashion, doing designs, and I was helping her in her shop when I was 10 or so. so I always wanted to de study design, but I didn't know how to, you know, how to screw. I'm a very good drawer, but I couldn't, um, you know, this little, if you put a tiny needle and then you... Oh, to sew. To sew, yeah, absolutely. But you could be the creative in terms of the sketch, the ideas were there, yeah? Yeah, yeah? So again, I just want to go back a little bit in the family history. Have you ever traced the family back? Because it, were they always from Germany, Prussia, or you're from Italy or France? or what, Do you know what the history was of the family? Well, if you ask my soul, it would be coming from Sicily, but um, my mother comes definitely from Frankfurt. So I'm a girl from Frankfurt. And um, my, my father comes from Prague. Oh. Funny enough, when I was the second time in Sicily, I had somebody looking at me. I was writing like crazy. And he was looking at me and said, if you ever go to Prague, there's going to be thunder and lightning. <laughs> but I've never been. So I think I need to go there. How did mom and dad meet, by the way? Did you, do you know the history behind that? How they met? How they met my parents? Yes. Yes. Uh, in some kind of disco bar. Um, and they were young. They were like 18 and 17. And they were married when they were 22 and 23. And now they're their 55th anniversary on the 7th of January. Oh, my God. That's amazing. 55 years. But the thing is, you, uh, you said this very proudly, actually. You were a product of the 60s. Did the 60s mean a lot to you? Yeah. I, I love the spirits of the 60s. I love the music of the 60s. Well, it was that time of building up and 
every time when I when I was going to China, which unfortunately didn't happen for two years, I have this feeling coming back from China. I come from this place where everything is raw and we all want to grow and we want to do. And then you come to Germany and it's just so it's just so so stick. So stuck in the moment a little bit. Because again, that's surprising for me because of course I was in Germany in the late seventies into the early eighties and it was very dynamic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was very dynamic. It was a very go-ahead society and it was one that really knew where it was going. It was very clear about what it was doing. And uh, and also what I liked about Germany then as well is that they managed to sort out all the kind of workers. You know, you, ha- you had a yeah. worker unions were organised so that instead of opposing management, they would work with management to make things better. And so the psyche of the German kind of population was in the right place. But now that is shifted. But it's not just Germany. Let's be, be fair to Germany. Yeah. It's, it's many European countries yeah would you say fair to germany it's i think it's about um i think it's about europe actually when i was 19 i went to america and um i was like i'm going to america i'm really cool (laughs) i love it and then called me sometimes and said hey they want to do something like a reunited europe you know and i was like they want to kind of do the same thing as america but it's not going to work because the mentalities if you're in italy in france in spain in germany in poland or wherever they are so different and you know the, the british people got out of it you know and i said it's it's not going to work even economically wise you know it's like this is um yeah but here's the thing and and here's what i love about it because you can relate it back to love of course is that the dynamics that happen between the different cultures is the thing that really creates amazing energy in the world and diversity because you know when you meet somebody from britain we're very different because we have this uh, you know sarcastic sense of humor and we like the you know yeah. that and in germany yeah. we know that you do things very very well in that way and but you go to italy and it's all about what does it feel like what does the food feel like you know does it taste good it's all sensual isn't it the same with france you know so you can't throw them together in one united europe it just doesn't no. work you know no no i had one time in in my English lesson, I had um, I had the task to um, tell about this, and it's like in 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 America they say it's like a salad bowl, you know. So you keep the components um, somehow separated, you know. And this is what we try to do: is we try to make a sauce or something out of it, you know. And this doesn't work, you know because of all the history and the, and the differences. Absolutely. But that's what makes Europe such an interesting place. And I hope we don't lose it. I just hope we don't lose it. Okay, well, let's very nicely come back to business. So if you look at the crystal ball for Nicole, um, where, where do you think you might be going in the next two or three years? Can you look ahead and say, okay, COVID aside, what, what do you, what's in your heart? Where do you want to go? Yeah, I want to be, um, be more and more and more pushing Chinese brands into, into Europe because they are getting better and better. We need to be careful that they don't sell out um, Germany. So that's also why I want to have German brands becoming very, very um, successful in China. I have a contract, for example, with Alessi, which is a super nice design agency and design company and um, with a lot of humor, you know. So I want to bring them more into America even and into China. And I want to bring Chinese brands into, into not only into Germany, into Europe. So normally in, in April, we would have the Salone de Mobile, which is a big furniture fair. And I want to bring, actually, I want to bring five Chinese brands there if it happens. 
We just don't know. But the thing about it is, is that what you really bring to the table for Chinese brands is that they're a little bit like Germany was after the war. They really got their industry together. They really looked at quality and they looked at performance and about reliability. So they're, they're getting that right. What you are going to do, though, is you're going to stamp the kind of the image on top of that. Yeah. How do we market that? Yeah. Because yeah. they, they really struggle, don't they, a little bit with that? They, they struggle with it. They don't know how to do it. They copy. Well, absolutely. I, I totally understand. And don't get me wrong. We copied originally as well in Europe at some stage. That's we emulate. But then you get a style of your own. You have a, a groove that you find, isn't it? And then we come back to the serenity and, and to the heart and to the, to the trustworthiness that you have to have in your life in order to be successful. So that's the one path I want to do. The second path is I started a new company right now, which is called Star Writer. And, you know, working on my books since nine books right now already, um, I know how difficult it is to find, a, to, to find a publishing house, you know, and there's so many, I know, I know many, many magazine owners and publishing houses and they all struggle. They have a lot of costs. Everybody has time to write. The word is nothing worth anymore, you know? So it's like, um, I want to help these people. And that's why I started this star writer thing. I want to help authors and I want to publish, which I'm doing with my blog where I'm writing about love and what's wrong, what's not wrong and funny little stories, poems, you know, and I'm trying to, to gain more and more visitors there and, and people also to co-write, you know. Yeah, I think you're doing a great job there because I think, again, you hit the nail on the head. The words have become not valuable at all. They've become cheap, you know, which is unfortunate because really in a way this medium of the internet should be elevating that to a point where people value it, but they don't seem to. So what is the fundamental issue, do you think, there? I know you're trying to do the website bringing writers and publishers together, but what else has to change to make words valuable again? What else has to change to make words valuable again? I think it it's about achtsamkeit. I'm not sure how to say this in English. It's about being very, very open to what is good, what is not good, and to take your time. And right now we are so rushed. You know, we take four minutes to do this, three minutes to do that. And advertising, you look at it 0.2 seconds, and either you push or you don't. And what we need to do is we need to be better in communication, which is what I'm helping, because I can bring you a company and say, you stand for this and that, you know, for soul and sense or for pioneer and style icon or... For, for mom law, I created luxury products crafted by the mind because it's all about writing and the intellect. So we need to be faster in our messages, not so much blah, 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 blah. But we need to also, on the other side, have more attention about what we read and how we read it. And if I look, um, I'm not even through my mails yet, and I've only checked them on, on Friday. And then we had, um, of course, Sylvester and New Year. I still have 500 emails to check. You know, it's like... But but there's a thing that we need to use technology like AI, artificial intelligence or something to help us filter that because... You know, there's just so much that we're not seeing anymore. And because we're not seeing it, and it's, yeah. it's that it's a little bit like the wall of sound with Phil Spector in the 60s. Although it was great, um, it was too much sometimes. You, sometimes it's better to just have it distilled and have the single notes come through or just the voice or something. Yeah. So how do we do that? I have a Denker dialogue. And I started this when um, actually when um, Corona started. And I was on the way back from Frankfurt and we were invited to a huge party here, me together with my business partner friend, Susanna. Yeah. And it was in Frankfurt. 
they were inviting and they had um, Zusagen of 600 people and then there came 100 people. Wow. And on the way back, that was in April um, two years ago. And then um, I went back into the in the train. I wanted to see my parents who live in Frankfurt. And my parents invited me out because they said, no, it's too dangerous, Corona and blah, blah, blah. And I was sitting there in the in the Speisewagen, you know, in the eating area, in the restaurant. Yeah, yeah. And I was making a photo of the long train and I was the only one sitting in the train. Wow. And the only one in, in the board restroom. And, and I was writing actually on Instagram, I was writing, how can it be that people are getting so manipulated with fear? And that was the only, the first time I only had a, had a little storm of some people saying, oh, this can be really dangerous. And I said, I am not saying it's not dangerous and we shouldn't do things. You know, I'm just saying, how is this? And this is the German angst also. It's a phenomenon, you know. No, I totally understand. I think that hit us really hard, to be honest. Well, and here's the thing. I've got some great German friends here in Canada, and they feel exactly the same as you, that they feel that there's uh, some misinformation. This fear has been generated. And we're not sure why it's been generated. Is it because it's, people can make lots of money out of it? You know, like remember we were saying it's moving to the brain rather than the heart. But, of course, if it's if it's to the brain and you want to make money and you want to use people – it, it, it peters out eventually. Eventually does not work because the heart is not in it. Yeah. So I think you were very, very brave to say that way back then, a couple of years ago, but you still say it now. And you must say it through your writing as well, yeah? Yeah, I still say it. And that's and then I started the Denker Dialogue. I put together my good network of people who are all in the same spirit, you know. And um, there was like 50 people, let's say. And I said, okay, we need to do something. And I had this friend I had the party with, Susanne, and I said, I, we need to do something. And we need to do like a monthly, first off, in the beginning, we started every second week. And then we said, okay, we need to get the speakers. We need, I mean, exactly what are you doing? It's like a lot of work. I know that. Of course it is. But you know what? My heart's in it. My passion's in it. And I love it. Yeah. I love it because... I get to meet people like you, right? And the thing is, in my wildest dreams, even though I lived in Germany, I would never get to meet somebody like yourself, you know, who has that influence in the world. And so you're very gracious by virtue of the fact that you accepted my invitation. So why did you accept the invitation? I'm intrigued. That's a, that's a good question, actually. Um, I was looking into the mail again and some something was triggering me. And it was just like, first of all, I, I like to speak internationally, you know, and, and, and then I had the feeling um, there's something it, it wasn't in the words really it's it wasn't I don't think it, but something and I was looking this morning and Susanne just left and we said we're going to work on the Denker dialogue which we didn't so the theme plan 2022 we're going to decide tomorrow great and I have friends there I was cooking all the time and now I had my kitchen full of things to clean up and things and then I was looking at it and I was oh I have this call and I was thinking and I was looking at your at your blog and I said yeah that's that's actually it. It's. I think we have the same um, chemistry in a way, you know, and the same thinking. Oh, I, I don't disagree with that. I think for me, it's something about people that I love and enjoy. I love to uncover that secret life a little bit, you know, that life that they've led and nobody thinks it's important, but it's really important because if we can show people how you led your life, the good and the bad, then maybe they can say, well, I will take something out of that. If, if Nicole was adventurous enough to go to America, live a bit of a dangerous life on the edge there, lose everything, but come back and survive. And now she's been the major creative in six books. Well, how did she do that? Where did she get that strength? Where did she get the passion? 
you know, that's what we're looking for, isn't it? I think I think that's it. It's a passion inside of you. And, and that's coming back again to what I said in the beginning. You have to be honest to yourself. You know, you have to look in the mirror every, every morning and say, okay, I might look a little bit um, sleepy or something, but it's okay. The person I am is okay. And then other people will feel it as well and see it as well. And if I look into your face, it's a, it's a very honest and, and, and a funny, and you know, you, you look happy even though um, something bad happens to you. And I think that's a, that's a trick in life, you know, always smile. You, you are such a psychologist. It's funny. And, and this has been a tough two years for me as well. But this is why I started the podcast, because I thought, you know, what legacy am I going to leave this world? You know, what am I going to leave my children to learn from, you know, to say, well, dad made the mistakes. It's OK if dad made the mistakes. We can do it as well and experience it. But I think you're right. Uh, you know, I've always been somebody who smiles a lot. And I'm somebody who's always seen the positive in things. But this last two years, I don't know about you, I've felt very negative about things because I've felt very, very pushed down. And so this is my breaking free. You know, the, the Freddie Mercury one, I want to break free. <laughs> yeah, that's for me the writing, you know. Oh, totally. But then the writing comes together with the business and it's it's one gives to the other. And and then comes the Denker dialogue and the German Wunderwerk and then it all grows together to a complete composition of what you are. You, you're not born to, to work from five to six or something, you know. Okay, I could talk to you for hours, you know I could, but you have a kitchen to clean. <laughs> so Nicole, if somebody was trying to get a hold of you and what's the best way of getting a hold of you in terms of uh, like reaching out to you if they have a project they want to work on, they want to just talk to you about writing? The easiest way is just write me an email actually. Okay, and what's your email address, the best email to get you on? I give you two actually because I have two that are working separate. The one is more for the books and the one is more for the business. So the one for the business is NR, like Nicole Rösler, NR at germanwunderwerk.de. Great. Very straightforward. I like I like simple email addresses. And what would be the other one? The other one is the more private one. It's Nikki, N-I-C-I. That's what's like my, a little, my fun name. And then dot rose as the rose at t-online.de. Okay, repeat that one again, because that's a little bit longer. Go for it. Nikki, N-I-C-I, dot rose, at t slash online.de. Perfect. Okay, well, thank you for that. And actually, it's not going to be private anymore now that we put it on the podcast. <laughs> you see, you live dangerously, don't you? You don't live recklessly, but you live dangerously. I like it. No risk, no fun. That was the CEO of Montblanc always said that. No risk, no fun. He was doing an advert. He was forcing me to do an advertising to um, sell. Uh, you know, we had these limited editions. Yeah. We were wanted to sell it in, in Dubai and we wanted to earn a lot of money with it. So we said, who buys this pen? Gets a Mercedes SLK for free with it. Uh, are you serious? <laughs> and then the other CEO said, "No, you cannot do this. This is this is not integer." And then he said, "No risk, no fun." Exactly. Well, what, the thing is, um, I always say, "Let's let's try it. Let's see what happens." You know, you never know what you get out of it. It's like this meeting with us. You know, let's this the new year start something new and see what happens and see where it goes. It's so important. So important yeah. because I think what we have to do is we have to leave our children or the children around us a legacy to say, be adventurous, take that step outside the comfort zone, go to the other side, the dark place, because everything's on the other side of fear, isn't it? Everything is. It is. Definitely agree. Um, and I think no risk, no fun is a good advice for the new year. Here, here. 
So I, I always have one question I ask, a final question I ask all my guests. And uh, it's always one that kind of stumps them, but I think you'll have a good answer here. If you were Axin Yara Alt, 18 years old, what would you tell yourself if you had the chance again? I remember when I was living in, in, in still with my parents, being 18, wanting to break free, you know, I want to break free. I always thought there's going to be so much adventure and color in my life. I cannot wait to start it. And actually, exactly that happened with all the ups and downs and, and with all the colors and black and white. But I would never want to change that. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic to hear that. Because so many people do, they regret things, don't they? But you have no regrets, I imagine. No, as Mature, I'm not sure you know Mature from Ultra Fox. There's a very beautiful song, There's No Regrets. Oh, I know him so well because he's a fellow Scotsman. I was born in, Shot in Scotland, you know, in oh, Scotland, yeah. yeah. And so I know him so well. And of course, when I was in Germany in the 80s or the late 70s, early 80s, uh, Ultravox was at the top of the charts, Vienna. Yeah. It was so good. Vienna, all Vienna. Well, Nicola, is that, uh, I want to say um, Dankeschön. And uh, I thank you so much for coming on board uh, with On Another Track. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. And you're the first of 2022. So that's great. Well, thank you for inviting me. It was great fun. And I look forward to hear from you. Okay, fantastic. And I, all I have to say is tschüss. Tschüss. <laughs> Buona sera. <laughs> You've been listening to On Another Track with me, David Wilson. My guest this week was Nicole Rosler from German Wunderwerk and Denker Dialogue, getting your marketing message across quicker with passion. Remember, there are more conversations coming up in this series. Just look out for On Another Track with me, David Wilson, on your local podcast platform and subscribe. This has been a BritCam production for Urban Aspect Incorporated keeping us safe on the roads of North America.